0: Howdy y'all. Welcome to The Kentuckian. Today we're going to be talking about what General and later President Dwight D. Eisenhower, the Supreme Allied Commander during World War II, quoted as giving or quoted as the four tools of victory in World War II. Those four tools that he listed were the bazooka, the jeep, the C-47, which is a transport aircraft, and the atomic bomb. And I just wanted to take a few minutes and look at why he might have chosen those instead of a certain kind of tank or a big piece of artillery or a particular rifle or something of that nature? Why would he choose those weapons and those tools? Well, let's talk about each one of them. The first one, oh, and let me mention, by the way, before I forget, if you like what we're doing at the Kentuckian, be sure to hit that like button and subscribe, too. That really helps the channel out. We seem to have been throttled some by YouTube algorithms, so the more you all interact and the more you help spread it, the more you'll help the Kentuckian grow. Now, let's get into the content. So the bazooka, which is the first one I want to talk about, was a lightweight, shoulder-fired rocket launcher that was meant mainly for anti-tank work and was used by several of the Allied nations. Now, the first version of the bazooka had reliability issues, and the ammo that was used in the bazooka did as well. They proved very susceptible to certain kinds of weather, as many weapons, especially early in World War II, did. Um, Contactors for the electronic uh, igniters and, and motors and those sorts of things didn't necessarily do well in salt weather, salt water around ocean those sorts of things or maybe tropical weather those sorts of issues and so it it, it tended to have a lot of several problems at first it also had some problem penetrating some tanks well there was an upgraded version of the bazooka that came out that improved many of the reliability issues and it simplified the design of the bazooka overall and the ammo received similar upgrades its performance got better as well although It did have uh, some trouble with certain kinds of armor, so see, the bazooka had the capability of knocking out basically any enemy vehicle if the shots were placed correctly. However, the armor penetration wasn't enough that it could deal with the heavier German vehicles um, without being very particular about where you shot. That, coupled along with the bazooka being a fairly short-range weapon, meant that as an offensive weapon to try and hunt and take down tanks, it wasn't as effective as was hoped, although it certainly had the capability. The Germans even took the original bazooka that they had captured, upgraded the design, and made their own version of it that was called the Panzerschreck, and it was a very effective anti-tank rocket launcher. So the bazooka maybe wasn't as stellar as it was meant to be... Um, but it could be very effective against tanks, especially when you're trying to slow or stop them as a last line of defense that the infantry can have without having anti-tank guns or artillery or tank destroyers or tanks available. And it was also used very effectively against enemy structures and fortified positions, one place where it kind of shone to a certain degree. But why would this weapon be chosen as a tool of victory? Well, here's some thoughts. It was cheap, and Once you got past the first version, it was a decently reliable weapons platform. It was portable. So now, even if it's not the best weapon at taking out an enemy tank or dealing with an enemy structure, at the same time, you can carry them wherever they need to be. You don't have to worry about getting a tank or getting artillery or an airstrike or anything like that because you can carry this rocket launcher. Infantry can carry it with relative ease. So... It gave significant punch to infantry units. It gave them defense against tanks, maybe not the best, but something that was significant. And it gave them offensive capabilities against hard points, especially. It makes your infantry much more flexible and much more effective in multiple different combat roles. And also it makes airborne operations practical at all because airborne infantry have to have something to be able to deal with armor because generally the way airborne infantry are used, they're dropped behind enemy lines in conjunction with some sort of larger attack. But what that means is they have to survive off what they carry with them into the field until they reconnect with the main force. That means they have to have some kind of anti-armor capability or they'll get overrun by armor extremely quickly. The bazooka allows that and makes that practical, one of the very good weapons for, for enabling airborne units to actually operate. And as a reminder, infantry is still key in any war, right? The bazooka really upgraded infantry so that they could deal with virtually any threat on the battlefield. Maybe not the best as a tank that's meant just for the job, but they can deal with it and can uh, enable them to stay flexible and stay combat effective in most any situation. So that is a huge thing. You have to take ground with infantry. You can't take and hold ground with just tanks or just aircraft. You have to have infantry as the key to any war, And the bazooka was key (laughs) in helping them to be able to actually be effective. The second one I want to talk about is the Jeep. Now, the Jeep, you're probably familiar with it. It was a quarter-ton truck produced for the military during World War II. And of course, as I'm sure most, at least Americans, are very well aware, it has a lineage of vehicles that go on up until this day. They're still making Jeeps today. Not the original, of course, but they are still making them. So the original Jeeps, were the Willys Jeeps, were small, reliable, and decently fast quarter-ton trucks that were used as light utility vehicles. The way the Jeep, with a lot of the advantages that it had, it ended up being used in virtually every role imaginable, and especially for logistical purposes. Uh, There's a story from the Battle of the Bulge late in World War II. Um, There was a special unit that the Germans had put together that... um, was dressed as Americans. They used captured American equipment. They spoke English very well. They're supposed to go behind enemy lines, pretending to be Americans in order to wreak certain kinds of havoc and target certain things, that sort of issue. Uh, Fairly, uh, potentially some war crimes in there, but also an understandable strategy, I suppose, ethical or not. And one of the keys was getting as much accurate captured equipment as possible. So one thing, and it came from the very top of German command, the top, the top, the head honcho, that they needed jeeps. And jeeps were a pretty commonly captured piece of U.S. equipment. And the story is that German officers wouldn't actually give up their jeeps when they were ordered to because they liked using them so much compared to their other equipment. So they had a hard time equipping these special units that the Germans had with that captured American equipment. Kind of a funny thing there, but it does speak to the value and the utility of the jeep. But it is just a truck at the end of the day, a fairly small truck. Why would it be a tool of victory? Why would it make this list of Eisenhower's four tools that that contributed or were key to victory in World War II? Well, it was very reliable. It was simple. It was extremely versatile. They used it for virtually everything, reconnaissance, troop transport, fire support, makeshift ambulances, transporting of supplies. You know, you could hook trailers to it. You could put stuff in the back. It was an extremely versatile vehicle that was easy to transport as well because it is small and it had a lot of horsepower for its size. It was very effective off-road, especially compared to a lot of bigger vehicles. You could get where you needed to go with it it was a key point of logistics recon transport and courier those sorts of things even if it couldn't haul as much as the big you know trucks and transport trucks and transport aircraft and those sorts of things it could get them uh, from the well-developed well-maintained roads to the front lines right even if it couldn't transport as much it could get to places where other vehicles just couldn't or couldn't easily it got things where they needed to go when the going got rough and it was reliable you could count on it to work And it was a simple, very practical vehicle. It wasn't complicated. It wasn't a difficult vehicle to work with. And Eisenhower wasn't the only one that thought the Jeep was uh, key in victory, at least in Europe and North Africa. Um, There were other officers that did as well, at least according to his report. But it was a key point of logistics. It was key for so many different options. You can use the same vehicle reliably for many different roles that you need to be able to win a war, right? If you can't get wounded out, if you can't get ammunition and food to your troops, Guess what? They can't fight anymore. The next vehicle is the C-47 Skytrain. The Skytrain was an aircraft, as you might guess from the name Skytrain. Uh, What it was, was a military version of the DC-3 transport aircraft. It was used for transporting cargo, it was used for um, passengers, excuse me, and it was a very well-reputed, very well-put-together aircraft. The C-47 was very similar. Uh, It had a few different logistical things had like a different cargo door, some different things like that. But uh, it was just the military version of it. It was a very well put together, reliable, well-performing transport aircraft. So it, it one thing we have to remember, we probably don't think about it much today, but a lot of aircraft struggled with performance, especially the aircraft that needed to transport large amounts of goods, those sorts of things. The technology just wasn't as advanced. And so reliability and uh, reliability, the balance of reliability and Actual cargo capability was oftentimes limited. And the DC 3 was a very, very good aircraft that balanced those things very well. It could transport a good load while also still being a reliable, well performing aircraft. But other than that, it seems, again, pretty nondescript. It's just a transport aircraft. They used them for paratrooping, for paratroops. They used them for all sorts of cargo missions. They used them, I believe, they even used them a little for reconnaissance, if I remember right. Uh, Don't quote me on that. But, uh, again, seems like a pretty nondescript aircraft. They could tow gliders with them, that sort of thing. But why would it be a tool of victory? Well, you can move troops and supplies anywhere and everywhere. You can move them back and forth, right? You can get them to the battlefield. You can get them away from the battlefield. You can get them to a battlefield and you can keep them full of ammunition. You can keep them full of equipment. You can, keep them, you can sometimes uh, transport small guns like artillery, that sort of thing. You can transport a lot of stuff that you're military is going to need. You can transport ammunition, even for vehicles you couldn't carry, right? You can get ammunition for tanks. You might not be able to carry a tank, but if you get one to the battlefield, you've still got to keep ammunition in it, especially in a prolonged fight. It was it helped keep the Army mobile, right? You can you can keep the Army mobile, and you can move them to areas where threats have emerged, because you can't be everywhere all at once. But what transport aircraft like the C-47 allow is for you to get closer to that. You can get and respond to enemy threats pretty quickly, even if they're a significant distance away, and that's a huge advantage. Like I mentioned, you can drop paratroopers. You can airdrop supplies. Not only can you you land on a runway and drop supplies, C-47s could drop canisters of supplies through with parachutes as well. A big thing for airborne infantry, you could keep airborne infantry supplied after they had been dropped. You can perform virtually any logistical job needed effectively, and that's where the C-47 really shone. You can get things, you can get troops, you can get ammunition and supplies and clothes and guns where they need to go, when they need to get there. You can fly the Hump, which was a big thing that the C-47 was known for. That was a very dangerous air transport route from India to China, and the C-47 was the plane that they used to cross that. And it was very difficult, and there's certainly a lot to be said for the skill of the pilots. Uh, But the fact that that aircraft could hold up and perform that job at all, regardless of the skill of the pilots, is significant in and of itself. Again, you can get things where they need to go, when they need to get there, and that's so important for a military to actually be able to function. And the last one is the atomic bomb. Now, let's be honest, the atomic bomb doesn't really need much of an introduction. We know what atomic bombs are. Not nearly as powerful as the thermonuclear bombs that we have today, but still an extremely powerful weapon. Two were used, as you probably know, on the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and generally um, credited with helping lead to the end of World War II with the Japanese surrender. But why would it be a tool of victory? Why would Eisenhower include that on his list? Well, I think part of it may be because uh, the atomic bomb, in a sense, is the ultimate force the enemy's hand weapon. For one, it can do with one bomber what it would take a fleet of bombers probably several days to do. You can flatten cities in a matter of minutes, uh, which is just mind-boggling, because even though there was a lot of air bombing and that sort of thing going on to Japanese cities, it would be massive fleets of B-29 super fortresses, or yeah, super fortresses, and... uh, They'd be firebombing, they'd be bombing, and and huge amounts of ordnance, but now you can take one plane and do basically that same amount of work with one drop. And that in and of itself is significant, but that also is something that the enemy is taking note of. That's something the enemy is paying attention to. They can see those things. They can see why their cities are burning. It basically allows the issuance of an ultimatum, right? Either you surrender, or we're going to annihilate each one of your cities basically on a whim and make it uninhabitable for years afterwards right it's not just a matter of destroying your infrastructure we will annihilate everything and we'll do it relatively easily so if an enemy is uh, on the ropes right if they're if they're struggling it's well they're going to annihilate us they have the obvious capability to annihilate us do we surrender now or do we face total annihilation uh, it's one of those things where uh, you you make the the cost of peace very low and the cost of war very high or continued war very high. And to be fair, there's a lot of debate about whether uh, the, the atomic bombs really helped the Japanese surrender. I personally think they did. I know a lot of people talk about the fear of the Russians, and that certainly would have been a factor as well. Either one would have led to their total destruction, and I think they understood that um, that, that that late stage in the war, and the atomic bomb probably helped reinforce that. So it is interesting that it's added. Perhaps it's the one that you could argue the most shouldn't be there, but it was. And I do think there's at least some some definite merit to why it would be included on such a list. But that's really what we're gonna talk about, a shorter video. It's interesting to note how these tools of victory don't focus on the biggest guns or the best tanks, or the fastest aircraft, but on being able to effectively move your army, on being able to keep them supplied, on being able to arm your infantry well to deal with the most threats as possible. Maybe not perfect, but to keep them flexible and versatile enough to deal with most threats. And even with the atomic bomb to force the enemy to make a grave decision right to make a, to give them that ultimatum as i mentioned before to raise the stakes and to make the cost of war high cost of continuing the war high and the cost of peace relatively low and that that would be the looking more at the grand scheme of war and what you're trying to accomplish with war instead of who has the most powerful gun or the fastest plane or the biggest best tank So that's the video. Hope that you've enjoyed it. Uh, Please be sure to to hit that subscribe button. If you have comments about it, go down in the comment section. Let me know what you think. And don't forget the social media that we have. If you'd like to support me in a more personal way, my Patreon is also linked in the description. And don't forget about our merchandise store as well. And remember, friends, as long as you and I are doing what's right, make a real difference in this whole world. It's been Ryan Dalton of the Kentuckian, signing off.